tonight it's a very simple thought, but I think a very important one for the day in which we live. And that's the idea of truth. What is truth and how should we speak truth? And my title tonight is Simple Truth versus swearing, versus swearing. And Jesus deals with this idea of swearing or taking an oath. And I think this is helpful for us because we live in a world where truth is a scarcity. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, how many of you trust what politicians tell you? Why not? Why not? How many of you trust what you see on the news? Why do we live in a world today where it seems like we don't trust these people who would hold themselves up to be speakers of truth? Now, this one hits more close to home because I was one of these, but do you trust salesmen? Well, unfortunately, many salespeople cannot be trusted. How about televangelists? Although, I guess we're live streaming tonight, so maybe that means I'm included in that group. Uh, why or why not? Well, how about your neighbor? Do you trust your neighbor? Can you at least trust them? Well, maybe you can, maybe you can't. Do people trust you? Do they trust what you say? You see, we live in a world today where most people are inclined to the truth only when it benefits themselves or someone or something that's very near and dear to their own heart. And yet, it's interesting because throughout history, people have always known something of the importance or the rightness of truth. It doesn't matter where you look in history, what kind of culture you go to, everybody understands the, the difference between truth and a lie, and yet so many people want to only tell the truth if it benefits themselves. You can go back to the ancient uh, man named Cicero. He said, truth is the highest thing a man may experience. Unfortunately for some, that is a very rare experience. Daniel Webster, who many know as being involved in the collection that we now have as Webster's Dictionary, right? He wrote this, There is nothing as powerful as truth and often nothing as strange. You've maybe heard the saying, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes. Why is that? often the case. I think it's because people are so used to people lying to them or saying something that they claim to be truth, but it's sort of their version of the truth. A word we often hear in the news media or in the political world is the idea of spin. You know, you're going to tell a story, but you're going to put the right spin on it so it comes out making you look better. Or you only tell stories that support your side of the argument and you don't tell stories that don't support the agenda that you're trying to promote. Truth. Truth can be distorted and twisted as long as it promotes what you're trying to promote. That's the view that most people take of truth. And Jesus deals with this issue head on in the Sermon on the Mount. Because this issue of spinning the truth and distorting the truth and twisting it to make it seem better for yourself, this is not a new problem. This is a problem that's been going on really 
since the beginning, right after the creation, as people have in their sin struggled with telling the truth. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. We'll begin reading there. It says, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. What does Jesus say? But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is His footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. I want us to look first tonight, and you'll have to write all these things if you want to take notes in on, by yourself. I didn't get it all put into outline form. Lisa's home with Timmy tonight, and so um, this is as good as you get from me, just blank lines. But hopefully you can figure it out. But let's work first on the biblical truth on swearing an oath, the biblical truth on swearing an oath, because when you see Jesus here say, don't swear an oath, and then you look at the Old Testament, you say, but I, I thought they did that in the Old Testament. Well, let's look at some of those passages of Scripture, and hopefully I can say oath and not oath tonight, like my mouth seems to want to say. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 12, the Bible says, and ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Numbers 30 and verse 2 says, If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. And then Deuteronomy 23, 21 says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. So Jesus, in his statement in Matthew 5, 33 where he says, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. He's really combining the truth from these three passages, Leviticus 19, 12, Numbers 30, verse 2, and Deuteronomy 23, and verse 21. And what's he saying here? He's saying, if you make an oath, then you need to do what you've promised, right? You need to keep your word. Don't say something that you don't intend to do. Now, it's interesting in the Old Testament, we see that an oath, as we saw back in Deuteronomy 23, 21, that an oath should only be made in the name of the Lord. We have a lot of examples of that in the Old Testament. I'll give you a few of them. Abraham. We know Abraham. He was a man who 
walked with God. He had a special relationship with God. And in Genesis chapter 14, verses 22 to 24, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord. He even raised his hand as he made a promise to God. He said, The Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Here Abram, Abraham makes a promise. He takes an oath to God in front of the king of Sodom, a wicked king. And yet Abraham makes a promise to God that he would fulfill his promise to this king. Now the situation going on here was there were some enemies that came in and attacked the city of Sodom and carried a whole bunch of people off into captivity. And if you remember, Lot and his family lived there by then. So Abraham gathered some of his men together, went and attacked those enemies and freed all of the people. And when there were lots of riches available to him, Abraham said, no, I'm not going to take any of it for myself because I don't want anybody to say, well, Abraham was enriched by the king of Sodom. He wanted everybody to know that his riches didn't come from Sodom, that God had provided for his needs. And so Abraham makes this promise before God to the king of Sodom that I won't even take a thread or even a shoe latchet, like a shoelace. I won't take any of it for myself. I want it all to go back to you. We see another uh, covenant or oath that Abraham made, uh, and he invoked the name of God in Genesis chapter 24 and verses 1 through 4. This was where he wanted his servant Eleazar to promise before God that he would go and find a son for I or a son, a wife for Abraham's son Isaac, and he would not take a wife from one of the pagan people, but he would go back to his family. And in Genesis 24, verse 1, it says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, he said, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear, here it is, by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country, unto my kindred, and take a wife unto, thy son, unto my son, Isaac. Isaac. What am I trying to say here? Well, God is not saying that it's wrong to take an oath. If He was saying that, then why did all of these people in the Old Testament do that? We could go on with more examples. David, Psalm 132, verse 2, it says, How he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God, of Jacob. Ruth in Ruth chapter 1 makes a promise to, to uh, Naomi before God. She says, your people be my people and your God will be my God. Even God himself swore an oath in Genesis 22 verse 16 and 17. And he said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, this was his promise to Abraham. He said that in blessing, I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. 
I don't know about you, but growing up, I often heard that you were not supposed to swear an oath because the Bible says, Jesus said, you know, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And then I, I remember thinking, kind of having this little conflict in my mind the first time I was called to jury duty. And uh, they wanted me to, you know, swear that I would do my job as a juror. And uh, I remember feeling kind of conflicted about this. Well, am I supposed to do this as a Christian or not? You're supposed to put your hand on the Bible and do that? You know, when you're a kid in school, sometimes kids are like, well, I'll swear on the Bible this is true. And you're like, I don't think that's right. I don't think, you know, kids in elementary school need to be swearing on the Bible that, you know, that my dad is stronger than your dad. Like that, that seemed a little bit much, but is it okay to do it in court? And as you study the scripture, we see that taking an oath is okay in, under the right circumstances, under the right circumstances. We'll talk in a minute about, about some of the wrong circumstances. But I want to give you another biblical example of when an oath or how an oath is only as reliable as the person who's making the oath. And what am I trying to say by this? Well, it's possible to make an oath, but if you're a liar, then your oath doesn't mean very much, right? The oath is only as reliable as the person making the oath. And the person I want to give you the example of is none other than St. Peter, who didn't always live a very saintly life. He messed up a lot. I'm thankful that God forgives sin and God uses people. But Peter, oh, Peter, he made a really bad oath. And he was lying even when he made the oath. And he was trying to make the oath to prove that he wasn't lying Let's just read the story. Matthew 26, 69 to 74. And you probably know this story, but maybe you've never thought of it in context to making an oath. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. What's going on here? Jesus has been arrested. They're taking him to trial. Peter doesn't want to go inside the trial. He's waiting outside, and there's a young lady who sees him and says, Wait a minute, you were with Jesus? But Peter, he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. Now, was that the truth or was that a lie? It's a lie. Verse 71, And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And here it says, And again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. So to try to make his lie seem more believable, he added an oath. Again, adding an oath doesn't make a lie true. Because an oath is only as reliable as the source, as the person who's making the oath. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. In other words, he had an accent. And he sounded like somebody who was from Galilee. And they said, Well, of course you must know Jesus. You even talk like him. And then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. Sometimes we read about that, think about all the bad words that Peter said. What were the bad words that Peter said? He was promising before God that he wasn't lying, but he was lying. 
And often that's the way it is when people make oaths to try to cover up their lies. An oath is only as reliable as the person making the oath. I think that takes us right to the next point I want to make, that an oath should never be made foolishly or rashly. Never be made foolishly or rashly. Remember, we've already said it's okay to make an oath, but you better be really careful how you do it. We have the biblical example of many who did make oaths before God. So in the right circumstance, it might be okay, but definitely not foolishly or rashly. There's the example of Joshua in Joshua 9.15. As they were, the children of Israel were coming into the promised land. And God had told them that they were to take over the whole land for themselves. Well, there were a group of men that put on old clothes. They took bread that was moldy and they put it in their bags. And they made it look like when they came up to Joshua and the rest of the children of Israel, they were wearing costumes. They acted as if they had traveled a long journey. Why? It's because they were afraid of the Israelites. They were afraid that they were going to be conquered. And so they came to them pretending they had traveled a far distance and said, Oh, we'd like to make, we'd like to make a league with you, or we'd like to sign a treaty, a peace agreement with you. We're, we live in a far distant place. We're not anybody you'd be interested in capturing and look, our shoes are old, our clothes, this is how far we've traveled. They even made this statement. We took this bread fresh and hot out of our ovens before we came to see you. I mean, these guys were really making really big promises. But they were lying. But Joshua didn't take time to see whether they were lying or not. Instead, the Bible even says they didn't talk to God about it. They just looked at the clothes that they were wearing. They looked at the moldy bread that they were carrying, and they believed them at their word. Now, there's a good lesson in us for us in that in discernment, right? And learning, yes, we can listen to what people say, but it's good to have discernment, to understand. And most importantly, talk to God about it before you make a big decision. But what did Joshua do? It says in Joshua 9.15, And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear... Unto them, They took an oath before God. And it was right after this that they found out that the Gibeonites lived just really right next door to where they were. And in fact, were part of the land that should have been conquered to be the promised land. And because of this, it caused problems for generations. Because Joshua rashly, foolishly made an oath that he shouldn't have made. Or how about Saul, King Saul? Unfortunately, King Saul is known for a lot of bad things. But in 1 Samuel 14, 24, Saul, right before this, had made an oath that no one was going to eat until they were able to get the victory. And so what had happened? And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged upon mine enemies." Saul tried to make this oath before God. God, we're not going to eat until we win the battle. Thinking that, well, God was going to look down and say, those poor hungry Israelites, let's help them win the battle so then they can have some supper. Well, if you go to this passage, this is right after 
the passage I preached a couple weeks ago about Jonathan and his armor bearer having real faith. Jonathan and his armor bearer were stepping out, trusting in what God was able to do, not knowing what he would do. Saul, on the other hand, was making rash oaths before God, saying, God, we won't eat any food until we win the victory. Well, Jonathan and his armor bearer hadn't heard about that oath, by the way, and so they decided to eat on their way back from this battle against the Philistines. If you've read the whole story, it's a pretty crazy story. And so Saul, so, so adamant on keeping his promise before God, was about to have his own son put to death because his son had eaten and not kept the oath, and the people finally got Saul to stop. You see, when you rush into an oath, it will put you in some really sticky, bad situations that are harmful for you and for the people around you. Be careful before you enter into a binding agreement. That would even be like signing a contract on a house, right? Or a lease agreement on a car or anything else where you're making a binding promise upon yourself. Now, of course, we understand this would also mean taking an oath before God. You can look over in the New Testament, the example of Herod, who he made a promise, whereupon he promised, Matthew 14, 7, with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. Who was her? This was the daughter of his wife, and she came in asking, and she danced this beautiful dance. And he said, oh, that was such a beautiful dance. I'll give you whatever you want. She goes, I'll take John the Baptist's head on a platter. And all of a sudden... He had to do something that he hadn't really wanted to do, evidently, or he would have already done it himself, and he had to have John the Baptist beheaded. He said, oh, that's awful. Don't make oaths, promises, contracts. Don't make them foolishly or rashly. I want to make one more point that I think the Bible clearly teaches, though, about swearing an oath or making a binding promise and that's this that a broken oath is always sin it's always sin Leviticus chapter 5 verses 4 through 6 it says or if a soul swear pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good whatsoever it be that a man shall pronounce with an oath and it be hid from him when he knoweth of it then he shall be the guilty in one of these. And it shall be when he shall be guilty in one of these things that he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin which he hath sinned. A female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. What's this talking about? Well, have you ever made a promise and then realize later you couldn't keep it. Like you thought you were going to be able to do what you said. You thought you had the resources or you thought things were going to work out in your schedule just right. And you made a promise to somebody and then you couldn't keep it. You say, well, it wasn't really my fault. I didn't know or it didn't happen. Well, we still ought to confess to that person. I'm sorry. I, I meant to do right. I, I meant to be able to do this, but I wasn't able to accomplish it. Would you forgive me? That's still a trespass against somebody else, right? To make a promise to them and not fulfill it. We have this happen with our kids all the time. Hey, kids, we're going to go do this. Oh, but then somebody gets sick and we can't do it. Well, 
I don't feel like I'm a horrible person, but I still want to tell them, hey, kids, I'm sorry. When I made you that promise, I meant it. I planned to do it, and because, and it, but it didn't work out. So instead, we're going to try to do this other thing instead. I think it is right if you can't keep a promise, even if the reason for keeping it was outside of your uh, control, so to speak, that you still ought to go make it right. You still ought to go tell the person, hey, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't trying to lie to you. I didn't mean to lie to you. This used to happen to me all the time when I worked in sales, too. I, I would promise a customer, hey, we can do this at this time and get this delivered. And then something would happen outside of my control, and I'd have to make that phone call. Hey, that, that item that you ordered, I promised you was going to be here at this time. Well, unforeseen circumstance is not going to be there. You still tell them the truth. You still apologize. You say, well, it wasn't your fault. No. But we'll get back to this at the end. But when you speak the truth, even when it hurts you, you'll find great blessing in that in the long run. A broken oath is always sin. I know we're running out of time. That first point was definitely the biggest one by far. These next couple, I think, will just kind of <coughs> bring it all together for us. <coughs> Excuse me. So we've seen the biblical teaching on taking an oath. But we often deal in our world with the twisted way that people think about truth. The twisted way people think about truth. And this is what Jesus was dealing with back in the Sermon on the Mount. This idea that a lesser oath is not as important or that a lesser oath can be broken. What do I mean by that? Well, go back to our text in Matthew 5. Look at some of the other things that they were swearing by. Jesus lists some of them as an example. He says, but I say unto you, verse 34, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. Do you see what the people here were doing? They were saying, well, the Old Testament said, don't swear in the name of God, because if you do, you've got to keep that oath. So we won't swear by the name of God. We'll just swear by heaven. That, that way, we have an out. Because, hey, I, I mean, yeah, sorry I wasn't able to get it done, but I didn't swear in the name of God, just, just in the name of heaven. Or here's what some of them were doing. They were swearing by Jerusalem. Oh, the great city, the capital, the place where the temple was. Swear by Jerusalem that I will fill in the blank, whatever it is they will do. Or what were they also swearing? Oh, some of them were swearing by their heads. Well, as my head, you know, as my hair is black. And he even says that. But you, by your thinking, can't make your hair white or black, right? Some of you wish you could wish more of it into being, right? It, it just doesn't work that way. So this is how they were twisting the truth around. They were swearing by other things that were like less important things than God. So therefore, it's okay to swear as long as it's not in the name of God. Here's the problem with this. And Jesus is going to point it out here. You can't twist truth around and it still be truth. And Jesus points this out. He says, don't swear by heaven. Why? Because it's God's throne. So you're trying to get around this whole swear in the name of God thing by swearing by heaven. Well, guess what? Where is God? He's in heaven. 
well, we'll get out of it by swearing by Jerusalem. He said, no, that's his footstool. God, God made Jerusalem. Well, I'll swear by my head. Who made your head? Who has the control over how many hairs you have in your head? God does. Jesus is making the point here. Every attempt you try to do to twist your way through this whole oath thing so you can say what you want to say, when you want to say it, and how you want to say it to somehow uh, wiggle your way through and not really have to speak the truth, all of it is a lie. None of it is truth. And you might as well be swearing to God because God made all the things you're swearing by anyway. You see, in their attempt to evade this particular law on swearing and speaking the truth, they were just proving that they were all liars anyway. Which we understand. We live in a world and the prince of this world is Satan. And Jesus called him the father of lies. It shouldn't surprise us that people lie. I'm afraid many times even Christians, without thinking about it, think, well, as long as I'm not lying about the big stuff, as long as it's kind of true or in the right situation, hey, as long as you know, the greater good is accomplished, it's okay. And Jesus is saying, no. Let your nay be nay and your yay be yay. So when you say yes, it ought to mean yes. When you say no, it ought to mean no. So there's the twisted way that people think about truth. So finally, let's finish out. What is the biblical perspective of truth? Jesus says it so clearly here. Let Verse 37, but let your communication be yay, yay, nay, Nay, for whatsoever is more than these, more than what? Yes or no, cometh of evil. So if you say yes, you, and you have to say yes, but, and you add a whole bunch of other stuff to it, or yes, I promise in the name of, or on a stack of, then it's evil. He's not saying that if you go to court, and you have to put your hand on a Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, that that's wrong. It's not wrong. If you're serious, if you really do intend to tell the truth, but for the Christian, if you're a follower of God, even if there was no Bible, and even if you didn't have your hand held up in the air, if someone asked you a question and you said yes, then it ought to actually mean yes. And if someone asked you a question, the answer was no, and you said no, then you ought to actually mean no. In other words, for the believer, you shouldn't need to swear on a stack of Bibles for your words to be true. Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? But that's the standard that God has set. We ought to always speak the truth. Truth has no degrees or shades. A half-truth is a whole lie. Proverbs 6, verse 16, the Bible says, These six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, and the second one is a lying tongue. A lying tongue. I want to remind you, though, because in the day we live, we see it often. It often seems like lies have a lot more power than truth. And it often can seem like those who tell lies seem to be the ones getting ahead, the ones that are able to accomplish more. 
you've probably seen that in your workplace on an occasion. You definitely see that in the politics of our country. You often see this in those who are lifted up and exalted. Hey, you can say something horrible, something demeaning, something false. As long as you give a half-hearted apology, all is forgiven and you get to move on. This just happened this past week. I read some news article about Whoopi Goldberg who made some comment um, really demeaning to Jewish people and, and uh, acting like the, and she said the Holocaust was not a, a racial issue. So what happened to her? Oh, she has to take two weeks off from being on TV. Oh, that's so painful, I'm sure, for her. That in our world, that's not even seen as a horrible thing. To take millions of people being slaughtered just because of their Jewish heritage and say, eh, it wasn't because they were Jews. Well, then what was it? These are the same people that would be fine with, and are fine with slaughtering all these unborn children in our country and everything else. In, often, in many cases in our world, it seems like the liars get ahead. Well, they do in the world system. But I want to remind you as a believer, you're not living for this world. And it shouldn't be your desire just to get ahead in this world. It ought to be your desire to lay up treasure in heaven. So I want to remind you that the truth is where the power of God is found. I want to give you three verse, four verses, then we're done. Paul in his letter to the church at Corinth, said this in 2 Corinthians 2.1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He said, I came to teach the truth, the testimony of God, God's Word. It wasn't with my amazing speaking abilities. Oh, he's a great convincer. Many politicians are. Paul said, that's not where the power was. It was, I just came to you with the testimony of God. Paul wrote again in 1 Corinthians 4, in verse 19. He says, I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know, not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. The power. Where does the power come from? It comes from the truth, from God's word. Paul later wrote to Titus and he said to Titus in Titus 2 and verse 8, sound speech. He's telling him what kind of words he should use. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. And James the half-brother of Jesus himself, the first pastor there in Jerusalem, he wrote in James 5.12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. Sound like he may have heard Jesus there at the Sermon on the Mount. But let your yea be yea, and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. You see... God is very clear that He wants us to speak the truth. As a believer, you shouldn't have to take an oath for somebody to believe you. So how do they believe you? Well, because 
everything you say should be true. Do people always like the truth? No. Does the truth hurt sometimes? Yes. Are we, as Ephesians tells us, to speak the truth in love? Yes. But as Christians, we ought to always be known for speaking the truth. Now, sadly, today, many so-called Christians don't speak the truth. From politicians who claim to be believers and then lie, to preachers on TV who claim the money's going to one thing and then later it comes out through an investigative journalistic process that that's not where the money was going to at all. To even leaders in local churches who are taking money for themselves or doing things secretly on the side with somebody else. When that kind of stuff happens, it always destroys churches, it destroys homes. Why? Because the truth is powerful to do right, but lies are powerful to do wrong and to tear people up and to point them away from the Lord. Speaking the truth matters. Jesus was speaking to a religious crowd, a bunch of Pharisees and scribes, uh, many even common Jewish people who had been trained and understood the law and the teachings of it. But they were living in a culture where as long as you didn't swear by in God's name, you were okay doing pretty much whatever you wanted. I'm afraid we live in a world today, you can say whatever you want until you get caught. And then you just sort of make it up and apologize and call it a slip of the tongue. But as a Christian, that's not how we should be known. We should be known as truth speakers who speak the truth in love because it is God's truth that can change lives. And if we are liars, then how will anybody believe the gospel? If some of what we say is true and some of it's false, it's not helpful. James has a lot to say about the tongue. And he says that out of the same fountain, you shouldn't have bitter waters and sweet. Right? It just doesn't work that way. You had a water fountain, and sometimes when you hit the button, it came down rusty. And sometimes when you hit the button, it came out nice and clear. You would say, get me a different water fountain. You don't want to have to guess. And in our life, in our testimony, the way we live in the world, people ought to know every time they hear from us, it's going to be true. Sometimes they won't want to hear it, and they'll ignore you. And other times, they'll say, please help me. I need somebody to speak truth. Because the truth is what will set you free. And God's word is the truth. We have it to share. Let's be lights in this world for truth, as Jesus would have us be. Lord, thank you as we've crisscrossed through many verses tonight looking at this subject of speaking the truth. I pray that when we say yes, it would mean yes. That people would understand the truth from your word and that we by our lives our choices our speech would not distract from the truth rather we would just be reflectors of your truth pointing others to jesus it's in his name i pray amen